From 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR, this is Like Effect. I'm Audrey Nowakowski. And I'm WUWM education reporter Emily Files. Today, on a special edition of Lake Effect, we're diving into Cardinal Stritch University and its upcoming closure. We'll feature a conversation with Stritch's president, Dr. Dan Scholes. Then we'll explore the school's history and the legacy of its founders. They came here to serve the German immigrants that had settled in the Milwaukee area. And so they were putting themselves at the service of the people of Milwaukee, but their heart was with Christian education. Plus, hear how current students are impacted by the disruption in their education plans. It's so bad for me that I went into a state of depression where I didn't go to school. In my head, why would I waste my time? I'm not going to be able to keep this credit. All that and more is coming up on Lake Effect. But first, here are today's headlines. This is Lake Effect from 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR. I'm Audrey Nowakowski. And I'm WUWM education reporter Emily Files. Thanks for joining us today for a special edition of Lake Effect that will focus on the closure of Cardinal Stritch University and the impact this is having on the greater community. We'll start with this. Students will cross the stage at Cardinal Stritch University's graduation for the last time this Sunday. In early April, the university north of Milwaukee announced that it would close after this school year. The announcement stunned its thousands of alumni and hundreds of current students. Stritch's enrollment has plummeted from about 6,000 students in 2010 to just over 1,000 this year. The Franciscan institution has operated at a deficit almost every year in the last decade, according to tax statements. President Dan Scholes says the situation became unsustainable this school year. Scholes has been at Stritch for 19 years, first as a religious studies teacher, then a dean, and eventually as president of the school, a role he took on about three years ago. He sat down with me to talk about the decision to close. Tell me about what the the last month or so has been like for you after making this public announcement about the school closing. Uh, well, I mean, it's it it's it's a lot of different feelings. Um, one of them, obviously, is uh, feelings of concern concern for our students, for our faculty and staff, making sure that our students find a safe home, um, working with the, the generosity of many of our neighboring institutions. They've been wonderful. Um, and just first of all and foremost, taking care of our students. Um, and so concerned that that goes well and that's successful. Um, and then also obviously concerned for our faculty and staff, make sure that they um, find a next job, something that they, they would like to do um, and that they've got training and background in. So, you know, concerned that that all goes smoothly. So how did Stretch get to this point of the only option being closure. It comes down to finances. And if you don't, you know, if you're not bringing in enough money to operate and pay all your bills and, you know, operate a university at, at some point, you just have to make a decision that, you know, on the business side of it, it's just not sustainable anymore. The enrollment numbers, is that really the main driver of the financial difficulties that Stritch has faced, um, the enrollment decline? Yeah. And I mean, over the years, so in in the time that I've been here, our enrollment has fluctuated over time, but overall it has dropped pretty significantly. And, you know, at, at some point, you you know, you just realize it's just not sustainable, 1,300 students or so, um, you know, w- you, you need more than that to sustain a, 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 the operations of a university. And so enrollment was a big part of the issue, for sure, the enrollment decline. Do you think the pandemic accelerated Stritch's financial or enrollment challenges? Like, how much did the pandemic have to do with the current situation? Yeah, I, you know, the, I think the pandemic impacted um, higher ed across the country. And uh, I think it, it created an environment in which a lot of students started thinking, and parents, particularly when we talk about undergraduates, thinking about, do we really need to go to college? Do we want to go to college? Can we take a gap year? I think all of that fed into our our current reality. But, you know, the COVID years, 
Um, financially, we were a little bit more stable because we were getting uh, stimulus money like the rest of higher ed was getting. So that, that was helpful in an ironic kind of way. We, we were able to keep our operations going with that help for sure. And has that money run out by this time? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So can we talk about the timeline of when did the possibility of stretch needing to close, when did that actually come up and when did the decision get made? Sure. We, it was, it was with our January financials. So in early to mid February, we started realizing we're going to have a significant, um, cash flow, uh, issue. Um, and so we started what we would call pulling a bunch of different levers, um, which, which, We've done typically in the past when if we if we don't hit our fall enrollment numbers and then the January spring semester comes around and we get closer, don't quite hit it, we're going to have a, a, a shortage of, of revenue coming in. And so, um, you know, we we employed a lot of different strategies to try to raise more money, to talk to donors, um, to get grants, to talk to banks for loans. That's not unusual. Um, many institutions our size, if they're facing that, you know, they, they make those decisions. Um, and it really wasn't until probably six weeks later, late March, early April, literally where we had meetings with our board and we'd been working with our finance committee all along. Um, and so every, you know, our board was aware of our situation and aware of all the, the different measures that we were taking to try to close the gap. Um, but it, it was pr probably late March, early April where we realized we weren't going to make it. What was the gap approximately? What was the deficit you were looking at at the time? About $6 million. And I know that, you know, according to the public tax documents, Stritch has had a deficit in the past. So at this time, was it just, it just seemed too significant of a deficit to overcome? Yeah, yes. There, was, there wasn't enough uh, cash reserves. There wasn't just, there wasn't enough money available to close that gap, right? So the, the different levers you were talking about, pulling and exploring ways to, to raise more revenue, going to donors, applying for grants. So that just wasn't as successful as it needed to be at the time. Yeah, correct. Do you think if you had told the public earlier or during that time, hey, this is the situation we're in, we really need our community to rally behind us. I mean, why, why didn't that happen? Well, I mean, every every university that that faces the financial situation that we are in, you have to, me you know, it. W we within our board of trustees and within our cabinet, we were exploring many different options, and we were watching universities across the country who went public with the financial. Uh, situation that they were in, and none of them, none of that seemed to be a successful tactic to to, to go out and say, "Hey, we need six million dollars just to operate the, through the end of the the term." Um, we weren't seeing any success with that sort of lever option. What other universities were you looking at that have done that? Oh, King's College. Um, there, there were others. Can't remember them all, but there there were six Midwestern universities um, that you know, that we knew from HLC that had declared either in March or April that they weren't going to be able to remain open. And so, you know, it's, it's just one of those things that, you know, and going public, we didn't think was going, was going to be helpful. And we really didn't think that that was a, a, a good option at that point. So, you know, when I'm talking to students and they're saying, why did they even let me enroll in the fall? And when they were in this, this kind of financial trouble, it sounds like, the university was hoping to hit higher enrollment numbers and it just didn't know whether that would happen until January and, and more recently. Is that what you would say? Oh yeah. And you know, there's, you know, as students were enrolling, we, again, just the timeline matters. Students had been enrolling throughout the whole year for next year. And so it really wasn't until, you know, a week or two before we actually made the announcement that we knew that that was that, we weren't going to make it. And so it, it's not like we had that information for a year and we were under false pretenses enrolling students. That wasn't the case at all. And in fact, all the numbers looked 
um, all the way through the fall and into the into the winter that n this next fall the numbers were going to be good in terms of enrollment. So it was a question of can we can we make it to the fall financially? I mean, I'm just trying to imagine what people who are hearing this would think, and I wonder if they would think, well, if you if you thought that the numbers were going to be stronger next fall, it's just sad that that the university had such a short-term cash flow issue that's leading to this long-term. Well, yeah, it you know, it it had been building up for years. It's not like this was just the the one time and we just had to get over that. As you saw, our enrollment overall over the years was declining and yeah. this was this was a, a cumulative effect. Okay. Yeah, and I'm sure that the university had reserves that it maybe could draw from before that weren't as plentiful at this point. Yes, correct. Okay, and then in terms of like the governance structure of the school and who was actually making this decision about the closure, there's the sisters and there's the board of trustees and there's you and the other administrators. So who was making that decision? Well, ultimately, um, we have the, our structure is we have a corporate sponsorship. So the Sisters of St. Francis of Assisi, they have what are called reserved powers and they 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 take recommendations from our board of trustees on all kinds of things, bringing in other trustees, selling of our land. They have those kinds of reserve powers. So it was the it was our cabinet, so me and our vice presidents, in, in collaboration with our board of trustees that ultimately made the recommendation that we, we felt like we had to wind down the university. And we asked the sisters to uh, weigh in, and they supported that recommendation. What were those discussions like? Hard, sad, you know. Um, but it, in the end, we felt like we had to maintain Stritch's quality education. And if we can't do that, if our finances aren't going to let us deliver a quality education as we have done for 86 years, we felt like we couldn't in good faith keep going forward. So can you talk about the, the rollout of the communication about this? It seems like the public announcement happened before certain things were set up, like the transfer agreements, the teach-out agreements. Were you hoping to get some of that figured out before publicly announcing it? I think there was some criticism about, you know, you announced it, and now these students have so much uncertainty um, around what's going to happen. Well, I, yeah, that you know, the timing of it was faster than we wanted it to be, how we had initially planned it out. But you don't, you know, universities that are closing now around the country, this is brand new for all of us. And so you can't start making teach-out agreements and transfer agreements with all kinds of institutions if you haven't made the decision to close. Do you know what I mean? And so we really felt like, that, you know, we don't want to be talking to other institutions until our own people know that this was the decision. Um, but since then, um, our, it has been wonderful cooperation with our neighboring higher ed institutions. They've worked really well with our students, um, with teach out plans, with transfer agreements. You know, in, in that regard, um, we feel really good about how um, the other institutions have helped us transition our students. So, um can you talk about kind of what's planned now over the next few months? This summer, there will be some classes and services provided. What, how extensive will those be? Yeah, we have. We still have summer school going on. We we were wanting to work with students who would be able to graduate by the end of the summer to offer them those courses. Um, and we've been collaborating with the different colleges and our vice president of academic affairs with our deans working with these students to make sure that they can complete um, their courses. And so summer school is going to run like it normally would, and that I, I believe that probably ends in the middle of August. And are the staff layoffs happening um, kind of all at once or gradually as services wind down? Yeah, gradually. It, it's staged out through the summer. Depending on what role you have here, um, you'll you'll either go in the first wave, which is in the middle of June or end of June and throughout the summer. In terms of what's going to happen to the campus and the buildings here, who is going to be making that decision of um, who to sell the, the buildings and the campus to? Oh, well, that 
ultimately that's part of the reserve power of the sisters. Um, so ultimately the sisters who are our sponsors, um, they, in collaboration with our board of trustees, um, makes the decision about um, who to sell the land to, who to sell the buildings to. And do you know if there will be any priority given to, for example, other higher education institutions in that decision? Um, it would be wonderful if uh, these buildings could remain and we could continue, you know, the, the grounds and the facilities could continue to do educational services. But um, that would be my personal preference. But I, I don't know that, you know, that that's will be the final factor. Well, I want to get your thoughts on just Stritch's legacy, just what you'd like to say to the Stritch community at this time. Oh, well, first of all, we're so proud of our alumni. Um, we're so proud of the, the, the work that they're doing in the world locally and nationally. And, you know, we have many international students so for many years. And so they're all obviously have gone back to, to their own homes and are making an impact. Um, Obviously, the legacy of the sisters um, and their belief in education and literacy and over time, you know, nursing and how they how they really built Cardinal Stritch University into what it was. It's it, it's really quite wonderful. And to think that we've got almost 40,000 alumni and literally hundreds of sisters um, who built this place. We're very we're very proud of what Cardinal Stritch University has done uh, in 86 years, and we're proud to be part of that tradition. Dr. Dan Scholes is president of Cardinal Stritch University, which is closing this year. Scholes says classes will end in August, but an official closure date will likely be sometime in the fall. Since the announcement of the upcoming closure, many people are reflecting on what it means to have an institution like this come to an end. To better appreciate how Cardinal Stritch grew to be one of the largest Franciscan institutions of higher education in North America, let's take a look at how it started. I went to the archives on campus to meet Sarah Wolfel, the Cardinal Stritch University historian. She says that in order to understand the school and its guiding principles, we have to go further back than when it was founded in 1937. Any history of Cardinal Stritch University has to start with the sisters. And so I'm going to go well before 1937 to 1849. And that's when the founders of the sisters first stepped foot in Milwaukee. They came from Bavaria. Um, they were invited by the bishop of the Diocese of Milwaukee, which was fairly new at the time. And they came here um, to serve the German immigrants that had settled in the Milwaukee area. And so from the very beginning, they were putting themselves at the service of the people of Milwaukee, but their heart was with Christian education. And so they had really hoped that they could start a congregation of religious sisters here and eventually branch out into education. And that, that's, that's something they eventually did, but they had to settle and they had to um, get their footing first. And they were at the service of the St. Francis de Sales Seminary when it was brand new. So it took them a while to get to education, but as we all know by their history, they not only got to serve in education, but have affected thousands upon thousands of people all over the world because of that. It's in the name, there's the Sisters of St. Francis of Assisi. And when this was first founded, it was called St. Clair College. So can you briefly go over who were St. Francis and St. Clair, and of course the Franciscan values that Cardinal Stritch is centered upon? Well, uh, the Sisters of St. Francis of Assisi were actually the first vowed Franciscan women to be established in the United States. And so from the very beginning, those Franciscan roots were at the heart of who they were. Uh, St. Francis of Assisi, he started in, in a very humble way, just wanting to live in, in the, the poverty that would allow him to better serve and, and know God. It was kind of a radical approach to service, and you know, especially because he came from a wealthy family, it shocked people the way that he served. So little by little, more and more men followed him, and St. Clair was one of the women, the first women to follow him. She also left her wealthy family in order to embrace this life of poverty and service. And um, so they are giants in the Franciscan tradition. And can we go over those four Franciscan values? Students who go here, they're required to take Franciscan-infused core classes just to get familiar with it, but also each year the university picks a value to highlight each year. What are they? Well, this year, we're, um, our value is compassion, which actually fits very well in this time. We're, we're seeing a lot of compassion during this time. 
creating a caring community is another one of them, peacemaking and reverencing all creation. The sisters are at the heart of that. They articulated those values for the first time in the 1980s because they recognized that the Sisters of St. Francis, who used to be in all areas of the university as faculty, as staff, you couldn't go anywhere without encountering a sister. Their numbers were starting to diminish in the 1980s. So they saw that it was really important to articulate those values so that the people who were left, the lay people who would be working alongside them, could understand what was at the heart of this university from the very beginning and carry that on. And to this day, we have one sister of St. Francis of Assisi still working here, but we have hundreds, thousands of people who can articulate these values and are living them out in our community today. You mentioned when this college was first formed, you could scarcely go anywhere without encountering a sister. Can you speak a little bit more upon those early years from Stretch when it was first founded? The, the reason it was founded is because the sisters, you know, they, they were going into education and they were going into schools, but they didn't have proper teacher training. And so they would do the training at their convent. Um, eventually they founded something called um, St. Catherine's Normal School, which is kind of a loose forerunner stretch because they were trying to form their sisters because there was such a demand for teachers at the time and they needed to get them out into the schools, but you know they wanted them to be properly trained. So eventually they started to send them to colleges and universities around the state, around the country, so they could get advanced degrees and methods. But around 1932, there was an unusually large number of sisters who needed training. And so they were looking for ways to get all of them the training that they needed without having to pay out the, the money for tuition at other schools. And so one of our sisters who was in charge of this, she actually went to the archbishop at the time, and that was Samuel Stritch. And she said, I don't know what to do. We have all these sisters that need training, and we don't have enough money you know, to send them out. And so he said, you know, sister, your congregation is large enough now. You can actually start your own college. And so it was at his urging that um, the school actually started in 1932 as a teacher training college just for the Sisters of St. Francis of Assisi. It quickly changed. They quickly started to embrace um, other religious orders and bring them in. And by 1946, they started to admit lay women. So it quickly took shape. It started as something very simple and very practical, and it didn't take long before it began to serve a wider population. You mentioned Archbishop Stretch. So in 1946, the school was also renamed after him, uh, Samuel Alfonso Stretch. So can you share a little bit more about him and what his local impact was? Well, he was the Archbishop here before he was then called to be the Archbishop of Chicago, the Archdiocese of Chicago, where he was then um, named Cardinal. So that's where the name Cardinal comes from here. And I think he was called sometimes the Archbishop of Charity because he would say, you know, as long as I have two pennies in my hand, one belongs to the poor. So he just really had a heart for people in need. And this was especially during the time that Stritch was founded during the Great Depression. You know, that really resonated with the sisters because there was a lot of hardship around. There were a lot of people in need. So because he was such an advocate for education as well, the sisters in 1946 had approached him and asked him, whether they could name the school for him. And at that time, it was not just Cardinal Stritch College, it was called the Cardinal Stritch College. But he said, yes, as long as you always serve people in need. He wouldn't have wanted his name on a school that didn't have that at its heart. And I think you can trace our whole history and you can see that that is still very much how we operate today. So we are here in the archives. Can you explain kind of what's all housed in here? It's a lot of our records, our academic records, our departmental records. There's also you know, lots of photographs, old publications. Um, one of my favorite things is these old newspapers that we have. We had this award-winning publication from the late 40s to sometime in the 80s, and um, it was all student-run. So, and it's just, it's, there are student voices just coming out of those newspapers. We also have some artifacts from Cardinal Stritch himself. We have trophies and, you know, just knickknacks and um, just it's you, you pretty much can feel the history down here. So what's beautiful about Cardinal Stritch University is a lot of their ministries kind of converged here. 
one thing I haven't mentioned is that throughout our history with the sisters being here, they weren't just holding space. They were like, they were innovating things. They were creating curriculum around special education. We had one of the first uh, reading clinics in the Midwest was formed here. And it was because our sisters were at the cutting edge of trying to teach people to read. That's one major impact. And this school was known for its education program amongst many other things. What else stands out to you about the ways that the sisters not only innovated, but conducted themselves and cemented a unique place in the field of higher education? Yeah, I can name a whole bunch of sisters who were known on a national or international level. When they would innovate that curriculum, a lot of times they would share it. This became a place that people would come to learn special education methods so they could take them to the world. So it's just, uh, when you think about the impact of that, it's so far reaching. I think if you would talk to a lot of the residential students who knew them, the sisters and the students often lived in common ways or common spaces. They'd share meals together. So in addition to these women wanting to form these younger women, you know, to be leaders in society and to um, form them for their careers, they also had these mothering hearts for them. So... I think their legacy is going to be that they put everything that they had into this place. One thing I haven't mentioned is that the sisters uh, contributed their salaries back to Stritch. They didn't take salaries, so it's called contributed services. And they actually, in the year 1968 to 69, their contributed services totaled $430,000. So it was 31% of the college's budget at the time. That was their contributed services because they knew that this ministry was important. And so they gave everything that they had. You hear stories all the time of the sister who, with her PhD, would be teaching in the classroom during the day. And at night, she'd be running the switchboard or she wouldn't be afraid to you know, help out in the kitchen or clean the bathrooms. They did not know the limits of hierarchy. They didn't didn't see it that way. This was their school and they all came ready to serve. So they just have beautiful hearts and they're still on the south side of Milwaukee. They're so pleased with what Cardinal Street University has meant to the community. So even at this closing, they're, you know, sad, but they're celebrating it as opposed to mourning it because they just know what it has meant to people. Sarah Wolfel is the university historian at Cardinal Stritch. You can find an extended version of our conversation at wuwm.com. Later in the show, we'll speak with a family who had the unique experience of working at Cardinal Stritch together. But first, two current students share how the closure is affecting them. That's coming up on Lake Effect on 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR. You're listening to a special Lake Effect on 89.7 WUWM. I'm Emily Files. And I'm Audrey Nowakowski. We're exploring the impact of the closure of Cardinal Stritch University after 86 years. Stritch has just over 1,000 students currently attending the university. Those who aren't set to graduate this month are scrambling to figure out how to continue their education. I spoke with two students who are at opposite ends of their education journeys. Sebastian Rios is an 18-year-old freshman majoring in sports communication and Spanish translation. Justin Roby is a 32-year-old earning a doctorate in leadership for the advancement of learning and service. Roby also works at the nonprofit Diverse and Resilient. Both are trying to figure out the best transfer option for them now that Stritch is shutting down. So tell me about how you ended up at Stritch. And let's start with you, Justin. So finishing my master's, actually, um, at Concordia, I asked my then supervisor, now mentor, to be on my committee then. Watching him cry at my thesis defense, um, it made me really want to understand more about him and what made him be so prepared to be the president and CEO of our company and why was he so amazing. And he attributed a lot of that to the Cardinal Stritch program. So I immediately applied and went. I read his dissertation. It just felt like all stars were pointing to me going to that institution um, to to pursue my own PhD. Mm -hmm. And what about you, Sebastian? How did you end up at Stritch? Um, For me, I was going through the basic 
college process of searching when I was in my senior year of high school. I was weighing mostly Wisconsin options. I wanted to stay within this area. I live in Cudahy. So I wanted to reside kind of in the same area. So I was applying to Marquette, UWM, Cardinal Stritch when I had toured there. And I had applied for the honors program as well, which was an opportunity to win a full ride scholarship. There I was able to meet the staff and I was able to immerse myself more into, even though it was brief, it was like a two-hour event, I was able to immerse myself with like the staff, the few students that I met, and really just the environment where I felt like I was kind of like wanted in a way and appreciated the way that I hadn't really been in Marquette and UWM because during those tours I was really just like I felt like a face there in a way. Justin you were um, nodding along when Sebastian was talking about the experience of feeling wanted at Stretch. Oh yeah um, my mentor talked about it openly um, as a as an openly gay man he thought that he was able to bring his whole self to that space so on my first day I brought my whole self you know I'm, I'm, I'm wearing my rainbow gear but I wanted to see as a black queer man going into spaces oftentimes I feel not only not wanted but not respected in the space and so it felt important for me to feel like I belong on day one, and I did. I was well received. I, immediately, uh, the the staff was curious about my learning and, and the journey that I've taken, and validated my experiences. the The sense of belonging that he talks about is tangible from from the first day. You have staff at Stretch who really do care about you intimately as the person that Franciscan values, as I call that, creating a caring community. Uh, they really do emulate that inside that space and make sure that you feel like you you are adding value to stretch by attending and not the other way around. Hmm. And Sebastian, what was your experience once you started school at Stretch? Coming in there as a freshman, I had kind of like my head was just filled with like mixed emotions because naturally I would have felt the same at any university, like overthinking since my first class, like, oh, am I going to be able to manage this? Am I going to adjust well? When really I was looking back at it, I was just overthinking because by the end of the first week, I'd already gotten to know my professors on like a deeper level. They'd offered me their personal phone numbers. They'd known my name and they were really just making me feel appreciated and the friends as well that I was making. And I didn't feel like a face. I felt as though I could really appreciate my education as a tool for success, but also as just kind of like a happy like step in my life. So I want to hear about how you found out about the closure of Stretch and what your initial reaction was. Go ahead, Justin. Um, so I was I just got off work on that. It was a Monday right before it, it broke into the news. And my cohort, we're really close. Um, for 11 adults, you know, we became a really close-knit group. So um, I remember my phone starts blowing up, like, you need to watch this. Wow, wow. And it's my whole, I'm like, okay, as I'm watching the it video. Was, was it the video of President Dan Scholes yes, announcing the closure? That was, okay. the email itself says, we have an important message for you. Click here to view. And as I'm watching, I'm like looking around for Ash and Kutcher to bust out. So I'm like, I must be getting punked. Like, this is not serious. Like, I'm not knee deep in the middle of this program. And then they're just going to shut it down. Um, this wasn't the reality any of us were, were thinking, and especially the way that they did it. Um, since then, they've explained multiple times like this is not how they intended to, to let the information come out. But for me, it seems like if the media hadn't gotten their hands on it to give us a heads up enough, we would have been scrambling even worse. Sebastian? Um, in my case, and this may sound a bit bad to say, but I kind of already was kind of in the loop of the situation. I was in contact a lot with a staff member and the fellow student who worked there amongst the staff as well. They were kind of keeping me in the loop of how the situation at Stritch was getting slightly worse with like the passing weeks. And we were just trying to maintain positivity. Like we weren't there just being negative Nancy saying, oh, the school's going to shut down. But we were just there kind of that staff member who I really appreciate him for helping me out with this. He was kind of giving me a heads up like, so if the worst, worst, if push were to come to shove, then you should keep your options open. And then the day of the news, the the friend who also works in staff, he had actually let me know about like an hour or two beforehand. Mm -hmm. I had an outing plan with a friend that evening. And that friend, he texted me and said, hey, you should come down to my room because I have got some important news to tell you. He ended up telling me, yeah, so the worst happened and Stretch is going to be shutting down and they're going to be announcing it on the news in a couple hours. And I'm just there looking at him like, huh? Like, mm -hmm. uh, weren't we saying like a few weeks ago that, oh, let's just 
search for the positive outcome. Let's hope everything's going to turn out well. I was thrown for a loop. I was shocked, obviously. And I would feel shocked, as I'm sure a lot of Stritch did feel in the upcoming week, like kind of cycling through those stages of grief. You're listening to Lake Effect. This is our special program all about Cardinal Stritch University. I'm reporter Emily Files, and I'm speaking with Cardinal Stritch freshman Sebastian Rios and uh, Stritch PhD student Justin Roby. So what have the weeks since then been like? What kind of um, challenges have you had to deal with now, Justin? I'll say, while I do feel for the administration, at Cardinal Stretch, I don't feel like they handled it right. Even in the town halls, um, you can tell there was a sense of frustration that so many students have been reaching out and needing clarity. And instead of being able to offer that clarity, it was offering more excuses. It felt like we were getting better answers from faculty than we were from the administration, and that's not fair. Specifically for the doc students, how individualized each one of our paths are when you get to this level, right? We're all becoming experts in our own thing. So while we're on one program, like me, I'm writing an ethnography on HIV. No one else in my entire cohort is reading any of that research. So it's very much my own path forward. You look at our teach out versus transfer options on our website, and it's just a who's a who of what, right? It depends on which university, then it depends on which degree that they're going to take, if, whether they're going to offer you a teach out versus a transfer. It's been a nightmare with institutions clearly only looking out for their best interests instead of being community-minded in this moment and just saying we understand that this is an anomaly. So you're disappointed that there aren't more universities that are offering the teach-out, which basically means they'll let you transfer and then graduate with in the same timeline and not require you to take more credits. Um, and also, I think... To, does a teach-out also guarantee you the same tuition yes. rate and scholarships? Okay. So what are the options that, that you have in, in your program? In my program, the, the only options we have um, that are viable right now is Tiffin. Um, Tiffin is out of Ohio. They offer a Global Leadership and Change PhD. Um, they're willing to accept up to 45 credits, but I heard even there's some flexibility in that. Um, but as far as the rest of the local institutions at the Ph.D. level, um, the best I was hearing was maybe 30 credits being able to transfer and some of the more favorable programs that would lean towards the academic work that we've already put in, they would only accept 21 credits. That would mean for me losing 13 credits. That's a whole year of work um, for me to lose in order to stay at an institution here. Um, I love Tiffin. I think Tiffin is going to be a, a great option, but I do feel like I'm going to be underwhelmed. Um, I don't feel like I'm going to get the same level of rigor versus what I would have taken in year three at Cardinal Stritch. We went almost three weeks with no work. So we were all very much confused and lost. It's so bad for me that I went into a state of depression where I didn't go to school one of the days. In my head, why would I waste my time? I'm not going to be able to keep this credit. Um, and in that day when they found Tiffin and like was offered, like one of the faculties said Tiffin's a great option, that brought relief. Um, it brought a lot of my, my cohorts to the table. For me, it leans to that's where a lot of us are going to go. Okay, so Sebastian, let's turn to you. What have you been dealing with the last few weeks? What are you thinking in terms of the future of your education? I would say, first and foremost, I want to finish off this year. On a high note, I've been focusing on finishing my work. Slowly but surely, it has been kind of like having an effect on me because even the strongest of wills will be caught off guard and they will be affected by this. I Simply meeting with some of my professors, tearing up or like breaking down like in the middle of our conversation just at the thought of not seeing each other again or just the thought of like them losing their job, me losing my education here, not being able to experience like, you know, our plans that we had for the future. I didn't have really any complaints regarding my experience at Stritch. So the fact that a place where I would had eased into it so well was being kind of like taken from me unjustly. And that that was just really hitting me because another thing besides, well, my education and the place where I'll go, it's been a financial issue as well, discussing it with my parents because I'd adjusted to 
the offer that Stritch had made for me because they had offered more money than most universities in Wisconsin. So the fact that my financial situation is being messed up and yeah. it's a struggle, but one that I feel as though will also help me kind of grow in maturity as well to realize that not plan life isn't always going to go in my favor. So it's just matter of my resolve and the support that I've had also being absolutely incredible. So are you, it sounds like you're still deciding what school you're going to go to next semester. Yeah, I'm currently, I'm still trying to stay within the Wisconsin area because typically it's the Wisconsin schools and the private institutions that are offering teach outs. So through that, I've been narrowing my options to, as I mentioned, well, Wisconsin area schools, kind of like Marquette, St. Norbert, Lakeland, those types of Two of them are teach-outs. Marquette isn't currently. I'm still waiting on my offer from them. But that's another thing that's kind of adding on to the heightened stress every week, just waiting for, okay, who's going to give me a good financial aid offer and who's going to give me the good opportunities. And, well, yeah, it's just a bunch of things attributing to, you know, the heightened stress. But at the same time, well, it's just trying to maintain positivity. That's really all we can do for the time being. Sebastian Rios and Justin Roby are two of hundreds of Cardinal Stritch students whose education is being disrupted by the school's closure. We'll take one more break and then learn how the Stritch closure is a family affair for two former employees. That's next on Like a Fact on 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR. This is Like Effect on 89.7 WUWM. I'm Audrey Nowakowski. And I'm Emily Files. Cardinal Stritch served as a home for many, and for one family, it has held special significance in their lives. Monica Kling Garcia graduated from Stritch in 2014, and after getting a master's abroad, started working for the school in admissions. During this time, their mother, Kelly Kling, started working as an adjunct in the communications department. Both enjoyed a time period as colleagues on campus, and Kelly just wrapped up her final semester of being a faculty member at Stritch. Monica now works as the lead staff chaplain at Meritor Hospital in Madison. The closure of the school is impacting their family in many ways, and Monica and Kelly join me to share more. Monica begins by reminiscing on the time when they first started working together at Stritch. I know for me, it was really special to see like my mom get to kind of like build her own space and community there. You know, for the time when I was a student, people would comment how my mom and I had the same laugh. And so my friends would be like, what? I thought Monica was in England, you know, and it was very much like, oh, Ma- this was Monica's mom, you know. And after I left for a couple of years and then came back very quickly, I was known for being like Kelly's kid more than, you know, my mom was known for being Monica's mom. And so we, uh, yeah. We would always, uh, as often as we could, we would um, get lunch together at Dr. Dog, uh, the hot dog place across the street, or go for a walk together. And yeah, it was just, it was nice because Stritch was such an important place to me as a student and to be able to not only get to share that experience of working there with my mom, but to really get to see it become my mom's almost more instead of mine was really, was really awesome. How about for you, Kelly? Oh, it was great. I mean... I would come to Monica's office or they would come to my office sometimes and we just have a bag lunch and, and hang out, you know, and it was fun because I'd have students that knew Monica, you know, and they'd be like, oh, and then like, like Mo said, there'd be times when I would say something or I would laugh or I would use a phrase and they'd be like, wow. You, you talk just like Monica. <laughs> I'm like, well, technically, I think Monica talks like me. <laughs> but sure. Okay. You know, but yeah, it was it was kind of a magical time, really, where there was that nice overlap. And it was great. Well, it seems like the two of you are very close. And how did working together, did that build that closeness? Or did you find a new type of relationship with one another? What did you learn about each other through this new light? It was really unique opportunity for me to actually get to see Monica be 
adult Monica and in there like I'm sitting in Monica's office you know and I get to look around like what does Monica put in Monica's office you know and to have other people that Monica would work with would you know be like oh you're Monica's mom we love Monica she's so great you know I'm like yeah no you know it's what it was really neat to get that experience to to see Monica do adult work and be in a career, you know, and that's not something that most parents get to actually witness firsthand. So that was kind of cool. I do feel like we like had like another kind of layer to our relationship, you know, and it was, it helped that we weren't in like working in the same areas, you know, like my mom was a teacher and I was recruiting students, but I feel like we had this shared place that was important to us that was different than you know, even other people in our family, you know, we both kind of created speak the same language about Stritch and about what it felt like to be a part of that community. And that time at Stritch together, because there were highs and lows about working, you know, in a school in a time of financial struggle that it was having. Um, but I have, like, I look back on that. And when I think about being there with my mom, it's just really, really a positive thing. You mentioned financial troubles, some highs and lows on campus, even when you were working there. So with news of the closure, what have you been thinking about? And Kelly, I'd love to start with you. What's it been like for you since the announcement? Because you were actively teaching. It was extremely sad. You could just tell like every day you were there, every class, every event you went to, there's just this like, just really sad energy for what's not going to be there anymore, you know? And the last day with my students was really sad. I, I was determined to make it as least sad as possible for them while they've been here. I showed up in campus a couple of weeks ago in a giant inflatable koala bear costume. And I would just walked around campus, you know, bringing joy to people. I taught class in it. Because normally Stritch has a, a, a happier kind of family energy, you know, but since, you know, the announcement, everybody's just really sad. And for you, Monica, obviously you've been removed from campus life, whether as a student, alumni, a uh, person who used to work there, but obviously still very interconnected with Stritch. How has the closure impacted you? What have you been thinking or feeling? It largely feels like they're like closing a hometown in a way, you know, like I feel like I wouldn't be able to be where I am in my life doing being a hospital chaplain, being an ordained minister if I had stayed working at Stritch and if I had stayed in that community. But I also wouldn't be here where I am if I had never been at, to Stritch in the first place either, you know. Uh, like when you move away from a hometown, you expect that you're going to be able to like go back sometimes and see like the physical space and get to remember, oh, yes, this is where I used to do this or that. And, you know, it makes me really sad to know that that's not going to be a thing like a place anymore to visit. But also the idea of like as an alumni, like your relationship with an institution is largely like I am part of like almost like an interconnected community that goes beyond where I am, or it's an ongoing legacy that you're a part of. And so to have that legacy like end is also sad because I was a very proud alumni when I worked there to say I went to this school and it really meant something to me. So generally I feel I feel sad. I also like it was hard knowing my mom wasn't going to be able to work there anymore. You know, that my mom was losing her job that was so important to her. I like what you said about it feels like you're losing your hometown. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what it is. You know, it's like, it's not like I just lost my job. You know, if they were like, Kelly, you're great, but you know, we, we can't keep you on anymore. I'd be super sad, you know, but I wouldn't be this sad because I can't keep adjuncting. Like, like Monica said, I can't go back and visit, you know, and that's a very strange thing when it comes to a university. You don't ever put that in your thought process that I can't go back and visit. You mentioned um, it's a family affair, both in your immediate family for the two of you and the wider community. How are you trying to show up for your family? Like, Monica, how are you trying to support your mom and your family and also the extended family that you have come to know? Yeah, I think we're all having different reactions and also different kind of 
degrees of closeness to the situation, right? And so luckily, you know, there's been a big party that we've been planning in my family. So I've spent a lot of time over at my parents' house to be able to to be there and listen to my mom and talk with my family members. But then there's also, I think, the way that we all have shown up a lot on social media. Like I find that when it comes to like something happening to somebody in our community, you know, as far as alumni, like everyone shows up. And so one of the things that I really noticed was just the ways that people were posting pictures and like commenting and just like responding to this news with the like, let's remember the good times. And I'm really great and saying I'm really grateful that I that I know you and that even if Stritch isn't there, we are always going to be home for each other. You know, St. Francis was somebody, you know, who I was really passionate about and still am. And it was a huge part of my experience there. And he was somebody that, you know, served the, the most needed in that community in Italy of those who were, had leprosy and was all about making sure that people felt cared for and good and also knew that the work that he was doing would only last, you know, a certain amount of time. There was something about like this kind of temporal nature of St. Francis that the people he were helping were dying and eventually he would die of leprosy too. And that didn't stop him from still doing it, you know? And so I've also been reflecting a little bit on St. Francis too. And the fact that like, in a way, like is the most Franciscan part of this legacy, the fact that it's not going to be a building that remains, but it's going to be thousands of lives that have been changed and spread good around in the world. Kelly, I'm watching you listen to Monica and what they're saying. Uh, What are you feeling? Well, I like the whole, um, I'm going to start to cry. They're creating a a caring community. That's what I've been trying to do. Mm -hmm. That's I think everybody's trying to do right now on campus for all the kids. Because, I mean, Stritch really is a family, you know, and and that's one thing that um, we always get compliments on whenever, like, people come in and visit or, like, you know, there's an HLC visit or whatever. Everybody's, like, you know, trying to get all of our ducks in a row and everything. And the one thing that every time they come, we always got such good marks for Stritch for having this community, knowing our mission. And it's it just emanates from everything you know that people do and like right now it's you know whatever we're doing we're doing it because we want we care about people and we're trying to you know kind of help everybody feel cared for you know and what can we do to help you get through this and move on in your journey and so i i agree monica the franciscan uh, values are very strong at stretch and i think it's going to be helpful that they're going to get through it and I think it's going to persevere after Stretch is gone. So We kind of have like a unique position of, you know, being family together, but also like building a family there together. Me and my mom. Monica Kling Garcia is a Cardinal Stretch alum and is now an ordained Unitarian Universalist minister and the lead staff chaplain at Meritor Hospital in Madison. Their mother, Kelly Kling, was a faculty member at the communications department at Cardinal Stretch. And that's Lake Effect for today. I'm Audrey Nowakowski. And I'm Emily Files. You can find more stories about Cardinal Stritch, including my conversation with a data expert on college enrollment trends, as well as the experiences of other Stritch students at wuwm.com. Cardinal Stritch University's Class of 2023 will be graduating this Sunday. Tune in to Morning Edition on Monday, where I'll have scenes from the commencement. I'm Emily Files. And I'm Audrey Nowakowski. Thanks so much for joining us today for this special edition of Like Effect, right here on listener-supported 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR.